Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best coaches in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. This show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some killer free ebooks as well as drills and exercises that'll help you become more charismatic and confident by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, listen to the toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com/toolbox. That's where you'll get the fundamentals of dating and attraction such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, all that stuff that's more important than you might think. We've got boot camps running every single month here in California. Details at theartofcharm.com, and I'm looking forward to meeting all of you guys here at The Art of Charm. Enjoy. All right, today we're talking with my good friend Robin Dreek, who is an author, teacher of social engineering in a class that I loved in Las Vegas, and the chief of the behavioral analysis program of the FBI, basically our chief spy catcher slash uh, recruiter. And we're going to talk about how to build trust and rapport, how to get people who might even be paranoid slash sketchy or a little bit skittish to trust you, and how to refrain from judging other people and why this is so powerful. We're also going to talk about attaining our goals with people in the face of our own emotional resistance and how to build tolerance of others, avoid becoming collateral damage of other people's insecurities. And of course, last but not least at all, his opinions are his own and not that of the FBI, just to be extra, extra clear on that one. So enjoy this show with Robin Dreek. All right, back with Robin Drake. As everybody knows who's been through the Art of Trump program, his book, It's Not All About Me, is required reading. You and I met years ago at a social engineering course at Black Hat in Las Vegas. And man, it seems like a long time ago now, but uh, definitely a lot of good stuff there. Now, you, you graduated from the Naval Academy, former U.S. Marine Corps officer. And for the past 17 years, you've been working in the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So you're essentially, you're the head of something called the behavioral analysis program, and that's in the counterintelligence division. What what does that mean? Because that's one of those government acronyms that people are like, uh-huh, what is that? Thanks, Jordan. Uh, it's good to talk to you again as well. Uh, we definitely have to try to connect. It has been many years. It's fun seeing how we all grow and progress and continually add to our skill sets as we mature. And so I definitely have, and I know you have as well. 
Yeah, so the government acronym stuff, it, it's pretty funny because I'm such not the subscriber to anything, you know, that is kind of bureaucratic, but here I am. So what, what my team basically does and what I basically do, and the funny thing is what all of us generally strive to do in all our lives is um, develop trust. And so, you know, I don't deal with abnormal psychology. And what I do is I strategize trust every day, whether it be on cases, whether it be with my teenagers especially, whether it be with coworkers. Ultimately, when we're trying to influence and develop relationships, the core foundation you need to have when you develop any sort of relationship, whether it be you know, work, home, or play, it's trust. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you need it with your family, you need it with your friends, you need it with your boss, you need it with your colleagues. But what does the FBI care about trust? Don't you guys just chase criminals? Well, remember, my opinions represent mine alone, yes. and so I can't speak for the FBI at large. I mean, what I do on a daily basis, whether it's, you know, for me in my personal life or me at work is, you know, I talk to individuals. I talk to human beings, and I hope these human beings would want to help me out with things I need help with. But the first thing I focus on is their priorities and objectives and see what I can do for them first, because why would anyone want to help anyone unless there's something in it for them? Yeah, that, that makes sense. And you've been studying interpersonal relationships, behaviors, things like that for 26 years. For one thing, that's a lot of people listening are that age. So you've been studying essentially their, their whole life. And I remember <laughs> in, in the class, we've done a lot of cool, like personality assessments, uh, that you use at work as well, like DISC and things like that. And that help you kind of predict human behavior. Tell us a little bit about the book. I mean, a lot of people have read it because it is required reading for The Art of Charm. It's not all about me, the top 10 techniques for building quick rapport with anyone. It's really solid. It's something that really summarizes a lot of, I think, what naturally charismatic people do by accident mm -hmm. or as a result of, of course, learning this behavior over a matter of years. But what what is it that we should be taking away from this? If we it, Can you give us like a quick couple of bullets and some things that guys can try at home maybe just right now that are going to help them gain rapport with people? I'm about to give a course next week um, and I was chatting with someone today about the core. Out of all these years of doing this and you know I, I started out all those years ago with the 10 techniques and I've recently in the last year or two I came down with this five-step process and then I got it down to two. It really comes down to one simple core principle I think it is and it all and it's one of the techniques in the book it all revolves around eco-suspension. Um, but what that really means is this. I have found that not just dealing with uh, work, dealing with coworkers, uh, strategizing engagements, and I'm not kidding, dealing with my teenagers, the core element that you can practice in everyday life, which is so easy to say, but it's very difficult to execute, and that is non-judgmental validation of someone's thoughts and opinions and the choices they've made in life. If you can take a few minutes, you know, when you get a thought or an opinion for someone, Basically, their brain is rewarding them for having that conversation because dopamine starts flowing, oxytocin and bloodstream and serotonin. Uh, you know, all the all the neuroreceptors say this is really good for my brain are flowing because that individual is talking about their priorities, their dreams, their aspirations, their likes and wants. And as long as you, as an individual, don't question them, don't challenge them, and don't give any nonverbals that are judgmental of them, as long as you accept them for who they are, you're inquisitive about how they arrived at that place in life. Their brain is going to reward them for that engagement with you. And it's as simple as just validate them non-judgmentally. It's not the same thing as flattery. It's not the same thing as agreeing with them. It's just showing interest in them as a human being and you accept them for who they are. It's the core of everything I found, without a doubt.
So how do we do that? I mean, say we meet somebody who, and we're like, hey, what do you do? And she's like, I'm a prostitute. And you're like, your first gut reaction is going to be like, whoa. One, how do, we, how do you stifle that? I mean, you're, you're a good guy. What happens when you meet somebody who's like, I am selling my loyalty to my country for a few dollars? I mean, that's got to be hard not to be like, well, that's interesting. You know, you've got to kind of, you got to push that reaction, I would imagine, down into your gut a little bit. Uh, I think what you have to do, oh, well, I say, I hate those words, have to. Uh, if you choose to, what I do is I, I immediately gain a curiosity about how they arrived at that place in life. Because everyone has a story, and as my wife tells me every day of my life, we're all working on something. And every human being has a strength, and every human being is working on something. So I try to look at you know where the strengths are, and I focus on those. I try to identify those. So I can validate those. And then I try to understand context. You know, how do they see the world in their life through their optic, through their experiences? And by that inquisitiveness about their experiences in that life optic, one, I gain tolerance. In general, when you're dealing with normal people that, you know, fall within a normal behavior pattern of human beings and you don't start, you know, edging up towards psychopathy and, and sociopaths and th things like that, every human being has experienced things that cause them to make choices in their lives. And so if you put aside you know, your judgment of those choices and understand what caused them to make those choices, you know, it gives you a greater empathy and a greater understanding. And when you're doing those behaviors, that is non-judgmental validation. And that will, believe me, the, the, the easiest people I think in the world that you can develop rapport with and trust with are those individuals that are routinely judged. Yeah, that makes sense because they don't get a fair shake, or at least in their mind, a fair shake very often. They don't get an open mind very often. So if you come to them with one, it's almost like a magnet, right? Absolutely. And you, and you said it, in their mind. I have this one first step I like to do in anything I do, and that is, you know, identify what your goal is or your objective is. You know, with an individual, you know, say you want to, you know, you want to find out, you know, their date of birth or you want to find out, you know, where they live or you want to find out a favorite food or, or, you know, something that helps you in that relationship. So you identify that. And the second step is ask yourself, why should they tell you or why should they do it? And it's not why you think they should, it's why they think they should. What priorities, goals, and objectives they have and talk in terms of those. So we talk in terms of their goals and objectives. What does that really mean? You know, I guess it sort of brings to mind the, the car salesman who maybe would come up and say, you need to buy this car because my kids are going to college and it's really expensive. You're thinking, I don't care. I mean, that's a bummer, but what does that have to do with me? Versus the guy who comes up and says, you know, this car is really reliable. It's going to keep your family safe. I mean, that's sort of the basic level, right? You're saying all the right words, Jordan. You, you know this stuff so well. It's, it's basically the differences in intent. You know, whose goals and priorities are numb first, you know, in that example used with the car salesman. So you have to believe in what your goal is. In the car example uh, that you just gave, you know, if his main intent is number one is selling so he can make a profit, and even though he might be trying to say the right words, he's not going to come across genuine because there's going to be an incongruence between that which he's feeling, which comes across in your body language and your vocals, and that which he's saying. And that's what gives people that creepy feeling. You know, in that same situation, if, if he truly was there to take care of someone else's safety needs, wants, and aspirations, then that'll come across. And just even a slight tweak on what you said, if he's there talking about the safety and, and you know, the price and all that, um, that's great. But maybe that individual he's selling to, that's not their concern. Maybe it's a guy that's going through a midlife crisis and he just wants a fast, hot car. You know, so that's what the real key is, is for that salesman or that individual to find out 
why are you here? What can I help you with? What's going on in your life? You know, and what, what do you hope to get out of the day? Right. So it's essentially you have to help them identify their goals and priorities or help identify it in your mind and then maybe help them identify it as well. So it becomes really clear. If I go and I'm like, I don't know, I'm looking at cars because mine's, I don't know, it's kind of broken and my girlfriend always complains about it. It's like, okay, well, I don't really know why I'm there. It's not super clear. But if you say, okay, so you're basically, you want your girlfriend to be satisfied with your purchase. So now you're thinking, can't be super high-end sporty and uncomfortable, but also can't be a piece of junk, used one like the one she's riding in now that smells funny. And also, you're here is is this guy here mostly to get his girlfriend off of his back or is he kind of sick of the car too because it's not cool or it's not fast or it's not reliable or that same funny smell that comes out of it? I mean, what is it that really bugs him? And so once you can highlight those things, you can craft that uh, craft that pitch a little bit more. And this goes with people as well, not just cars. It's talking about cars here simply because everybody can relate, right? You paraphrase exactly what I say all the time is my number one goal of every engagement with every human being is to leave them feeling better for having met me. And the best way I achieve that is exactly what you just said. Help them identify their goals and objectives. And part two of that is help them achieve it. You do those two things with every human being you engage and you're going to build that, you know, our genetics start kicking in with that individual. Reciprocal altruism is going to start building. Their need to reciprocate is going to start building. Trust is built upon those things. And so if you continually put their goals, wants, dreams, and aspirations, number one, and you help them achieve them, eventually you can either, they'll either want to help you with yours or you can align yours with theirs. And, and that's what relationships are built from. Definitely makes sense. Yeah. So from that point, after we, well, we say at the Art of Charm, leave everything better than you found it helping them identify their goals and priorities, helping them achieve those goals and priorities. From that point, we can essentially focus on some of our own goals and align them with that person who we want to build a relationship with. I I don't ever really start thinking, I guess I I might, but I really try to stay altruistic with it. You know, I don't really start thinking of my own goals. They're always in the back of my head. And what will happen is, you know, as, as an individual is having a conversation with you, the key here is, you have nothing to say. Really, it's all about listening to them and exploring the topics of conversation that they want to talk about and the things that you know they're interested in. You can eventually, you'll see the opportunities to you know go down a similar track. We'll start aligning with the things that you've discovered about them. I think during a natural conversation where you're keeping the focus on them and you're basically cherry picking the conversation topics that are coming up with, you're going to eventually be able to align those. I haven't had a situation yet where that hasn't happened. Now, it might happen in a first meeting in the first five minutes, maybe. It might happen after a couple hours. It might happen after a couple days you know, of continual getting together. You, you have no idea. Because the big thing here is you have to have patience. Every individual is different. Their guard is different than everyone else. Their level of developing trust is different. You know, the techniques are sound because they're built on not just, you know, all my experience and all all of our experiences, but they're built upon, you know, genetics and, and neuroscience of the brain, what's going on. So, but again, everyone's neuroscience is slightly different. Everyone's experiences between the ages of nine and 19 are slightly different that frame how we see the world. So all those things impact it, but just go on their pace and you'll be successful. That makes a lot of sense. And Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. All right, let's get back to the show. I'm guessing that in your line of work, in multiple line of works, whether it's teaching social engineering skills and sort of what we did in class or working with the federal government, there's probably a lot of people that are relatively paranoid that you're dealing with. And even in our class that we were in in Vegas that we were working with, a lot of guys were you know, working for Can Canadian Department of Defense, U.S. Department of Defense, whatever country Department of Defense, learning social engineering tactics uh, in the class. And those guys by nature, I mean, half of them, I was like, add me on Facebook. I don't have Facebook. Oh, okay, well, how do we keep in touch? I've got this weird email that I check once a week that's not work-related, and everybody else has my phone number. And then at the end of the class, they were like, here's my phone number. I don't accept texts or what, you know, just everybody just had these weird protocols that 
either they came up with because they were, you know, they're security weirdos or that their government makes them do because they've got a top secret level clearance in some sort of strange field that's critical, you know, mission critical for uh, for national security for whatever country they're from. So, I mean, how do we develop trust with people who have their guard up all the time because it's their job? Um, time. <laughs> some people are just like that. Some people are ge- genetically or because of their job, generally untrusting. I tend to be the glass is half full and I'll, I'll give you my trust, you know, warily at the beginning. I just roll with it, you know, just, I just let flow. I don't do any of that stuff, which is kind of funny. To me, it's always been counterintuitive sometimes that in whatever job you have, I don't care. I have not met one job yet that I've interacted with, I'm sure they're out there, but I've interacted with, especially mine today, that you don't rely on another human being for your success. Um, whether you're selling something, you know, definitely your line of work, my own company, my, my business, as a government employee, everything I do relies on other people. So I put myself out there as an individual that is open. You know, you can check me out because if that makes you feel more comfortable dealing with me, then I guess I'll have better success too. I guess you have to be as truthful as possible in pretty much every area and really focus on them. Otherwise, it just doesn't add up that somebody would trust you as something that could get them in deep, deep, deep trouble, uh, given some of our lines of work and some of the people that we work with. I tell you, I've done a lot of undercover stuff, you know, inside, outside. The one thing I never do is lie because the first thing that will blow trust and you'll probably never get back again to see if you're caught in a lie or a a fictitious false self. You can't come back from that. And if that relationship that you're working on means so much that you think you have to go to that length and extreme, strategy is a way to not have to do that. Unrecoverable in most situations because, you know, you broke that trust, especially if you've gone down the road with an individual for some period of time. Um, It's it's devastating to a relationship. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and that goes for whether it's your girlfriend or whether it's a Chinese diplomat or something like that. I don't know how much we're allowed to talk about when it comes to that stuff. Everything I do is all the same. I am not kidding you, you know, Jordan. You know, when we were in Vegas teaching social engineering, there's no difference between any engagement I do in life with any human being. There is none. It's all exactly the same. The place I, I do the worst at it is at home because sure. that's, where, that's where your guard's the most down. Emotions run high at home. You got to build this muscle memory up about, and not just talk about yourself. Some people don't talk about themselves, but they really talk about the things they're interested in. You got to, you got to put that aside and really focus on that other individual and keep it in terms of them. This happened a couple of days ago, you know, just with my daughter. Um, she's in high school, and the greatest and easiest successes you can have, or I've had, is when she says she did something or made a choice on something. And I start asking her about that choice and how she came up with it. She opens up like a book because she, she's sharing her thoughts and opinions and her brain's rewarding it for her, regardless of if I thought it was a good idea or not. And I've experimented with this. You know, the first time I say, well, why'd you do that? She yields her up and she gets offensive. I mean, just that one statement, it's a judgmental statement. The, the nonverbals, the totals were wrong on it. Shields go up, you know, so it works with everyone that way. Yeah, for sure. From the daughter to the to the diplomat. That's kind of funny because a lot of people think, oh, there's some sort of top secret rapport building tactics. There's some sort of top secret spy stuff. And it's funny, the more we talk to the CIA and the NSA and the FBI and all the other alphabet soup, it's all the same stuff that we teach at the Art of Charm and that we're talking about right now, which is make it about them and 
don't lie, be authentic, that authenticity shows you in your body language, people trust you, dot, 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 goals achieved. Absolutely. And the last slide I always put up, I call it my secret weapon slide, have nothing to say. That's my secret weapon slide. <laughs> oh, wow. What do you mean by that? Here's something people can try right away, and they can try it during the course of the day after they listen to this. Anytime you have 200 human beings interacting and they're having a conversation, generally what happens is you know someone will have something they're talking about, and within microseconds to seconds, the other individual knows what they want to respond with. They got an idea, they have a thought, they have a story, they have an anecdote, oh. and now they're patiently waiting, you know, for the other person to shut up. They're not really listening to what they're saying anymore, and they're waiting to interject their own story. The key to listening is not any of these great schools I've been through. It's it's the second you get that urge to respond with your priorities, basically, because that's what's happening is your brain is re trying to reward you for telling your side of something or your opinion on something. Suspend it. Toss it and don't say it and focus now on what the other person's saying and think to yourself from what they're saying, what do I want to explore? They're giving me a whole buffet of topics to talk about. What can I ask a how, when, or why question after um, they're done ch ch chatting about that I can explore even further? That's it. You have absolutely nothing to say and you'll be amazed at one, how awkward and weird it feels to actually suspend and toss out the thing that you wanted to say and focus on their content and explore it with them. Amazing, yeah, that works. I know that that works just from doing the show and trying my hardest over the last seven years not to interrupt everybody constantly. I'd, some days are better than others, as the listeners know. But can we turn this around as well and focus on, okay, why don't we get their brain to reward them for engaging with us? For example, say we're trying to poach an employee, I'm trying to use an analogy that won't get either of us in trouble. Say we were trying to poach an employee from another company and we approach that person and we, we wanna get that person to either give us some competitive intelligence or maybe come over and work for us instead of that other company. How do we start that process? How do you just walk up to somebody who's at one point a stranger and get them to do something that requires an insane amount of trust? Yes, time, but how does it begin? How does the process begin? Well, are you talking the first encounter where they've never seen you before and you're beating, bumping them on the road or something? Yeah, or however that's crafted. Well, from the first approach of anyone, the only thing I ever craft is an opening line, an opening statement, and I have probably about four or five of them. Um, and this goes back to my 10 techniques that, that I'll throw into as many as I can into my opening statement. I try to throw in, and I'll give you an example here in a second. I, I try to throw in an artificial time constraint. I throw in uh, sympathy. I'll throw in uh, seeking thoughts and opinions, and um, I'll throw probably some self-deprecation in there as well. Because, you know, the, you can throw all those things in there. You're basically answering these questions, which is from Caldini's book, Influence, and you know this as well. You know, it's, you know, but when you're approaching a stranger, you have to answer three things right away or you're lost. And that's who are you, what do you want, and when are you leaving? Right. <laughs> Um, you know, and so, you know, typically I, I will, you know, say, Hey, I'm so, and this goes, you know, you know, Neil Strauss is a big believer in this and, and I got it from him, but it's probably where we diverged after that is that's a time constraint. You know, when you can throw in there, Hey, I got to get back to work really quick. Can I ask you a quick thought and opinion? I'm trying to buy something special for my wife. You know, all in that one opening line, I'm saying basically who I am. I'm a guy that's married. I'm trying to buy something special for my wife. I'm seeking a thought and opinion. I'm seeking help and assistance with a sympathy theme, and I threw that time constraint in there. You know, and so right away, you know, the the triggers for human interaction and reciprocal altruism with sympathy, you know, keys in because, you know, we're genetically coded to want to give assistance because, you know, we 
you know, our genetics are saying if we don't, we might be inadvertently see them again in our lives and they'll wrong us, you know, so that all those things kind of kick in. As long as you can come up with a, a line that isn't creepy and incongruent with you, your personality, your look, your speech, you know, so that takes practice and time, obviously, to get something that fits, you know, but it starts with that. I mean, if I was going to try to recruit someone to work for my business, you know, from another business, you, you might say poach. I'd just say, hey, I'm just trying to recruit good people. You know, I'd probably easily steer the conversation from there, probably use an intentional misstatement. Um, you know, so, so you must be, you know, local. You must be lo- working at this local establishment here. And, and they'd probably respond correcting you with where they are. And then you can and then you can kind of talk about their goals and their challenges that they have working there. You know, I love the challenges question because everyone has challenges. Sure. And then that again, when you're seeking a challenges response, you know, there's you know, say, hey, so what kind of challenges you have working there? And now they're going to tell you about what challenges they have working there. I mean, a simple question is, you know, what strengths do you bring to bear for them? Do you think? You know, what do you feel like you're unrewarded for? You know, people are very open about, you know, these emotional things that are happening in their lives. And, and what you're basically doing is you're getting a paintbrush of what's going on, what their challenges are. And now you can offer opportunities say, listen, and here's where you throw a time constraint in again in a different way. You know, I work for this company. And from what you've told me, you know, you have a skill set that might be, again, empowerment with choice, might be more aligned with what we're doing. You know, we're we're seeking uh, some people right now. If you don't mind, how about this? Again, empowerment and choice. You know, why don't we try to get together for two or three cups of coffee? There's your time constraint over next month. And let's see if we can put some of our ideas together and see if this might be beneficial to you. And so that entire interaction, however long it takes, you know, you're talking everything in terms of their priorities. You're talking about rewarding them for things they're already doing very well. And you're aligning their goals and objectives with yours. And you gave it a time constraint. So there's no obligation. The shields are down. Anyway, that's just off the top of my head. Yeah, sure. I mean, that makes perfect sense. How do you craft that engagement initially? Like, If you're recruiting somebody from like a foreign diplomat, how do you, do you just sort of have somebody following them around and then you stumble into the Starbucks where they go every morning? I mean, how does that happen? I mean, how do you do that with anyone that you're pursuing in life? You know, say that you have, I'll put this to the dating world. I mean, say you live in an apartment building with someone or you live in an apartment building next door to someone or you work with someone. Um, you know, how do you craft an engagement so that you can, you know, maybe ask that person out on a date? You're going to start studying their patterns. You're going to see maybe where they go every day. Uh, and that so you might craft a way that, you know, what I like to call a smile campaign, you know, where they be, they become desensitized to you and their environment. So you're a natural part of that environment. So their guard isn't up when they see you over a period of time. And then you what you do, you break the plane. You, you, you make a, a very... In, innocuous comment about, you know, something in the environment. And basically by doing that, you, you can use even, especially if you trip or, or do something that requires you to show some self-deprecation or uh, humility, um, that engenders trust. And you leave it at that and then, you know, give them the space they want. You know, if they seem a little off, then you, you know, give them double the space back. But over a period of time, you'll be able to read their body language and how open they are to you and the engagement. And then you can simply craft, you know, seeking the thought and opinion about something using what I like to call, you know, third party reference. Don't talk about them because, you know, that gets the creepy factor up. Don't talk about yourself because no one cares. But you can seek a thought or opinion, you know, about my friend did this. You know, he was he wanted to buy a pair of boots for his wife and girl he saw at a Starbucks, you know, was wearing a similar pair of boots and he he wanted to know how do I come across non creepy? And I said, simple, why don't you why don't you say, Hey, you know, I'm sorry for bothering you, you know, we're heading out. There's your time constraint. 
I'm trying to buy something special for my wife's birthday and she's, and she's really interested in a pair of boots, you know, may I ask you, where did you get those? Um, because by then you're saying, Hey, you're validating her choices. You're doing it for your wife. And I'm not trying to say that you look good in them. I'm not giving flattery, but I'm validating your choice by saying, where did you get those? Okay. So validating their, the sense of taste without doing it in a way that has any sort of weird, ambiguous charge where people go, is this guy, is dude hitting on me right now? I don't really know what's going on. I'm going to take the safe road out. Because I actually, I used to have a, a scenario where I saw, you know, someone, you know, asking to take a photo of the boots and people will comply with that, but you're leaving them really feeling creepy. That's why <laughs> I've had a number of people, you know, women say to me, better just ask where they got it. And that is, that is much better. Because yeah. again, you're, you're validating a choice. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense versus like trying to slyly take an iPhone picture of someone's shoes and they're like, what did he just do? Yeah, that's a great way to get maced or slash arrested. I believe in really being as open, honest, and willing as you can. You know, if you have an interest in something, see how you can reframe the phraseology so you don't come across as creepy and you set someone's guard on end. So keep focused on your objective. You know, if your objective is to get a date with the girl next door, think about it. Think yourself, what's your objective? I want to go out. Why should she want to go out? You know, from her perspective, what shouldn't you do? I, and it's the best way to put, you know, what shouldn't you do? And so run through the scenario of what you want to do in your head, then role play it out. I'm a big believer in role playing, um, you know, just for practice, especially you come up with your, your scenario, then you give it to someone else to do and, and do it to you so you can see how that feels. You'll probably radically change it before you execute it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. All right, let's get back to the good stuff. I, I think, is there like a mantra we can go back to maybe that we're all imperfect or we're all working on something or we all have a past? I mean, what's that? How do we internalize that, I guess, is what I'm asking. 
You know, I wish I had a simple way to do it. I think the best way to be non-judgmental uh, and validate someone, as soon as I meet someone, I start seeking their strengths. This becomes easier, you know, when you know some, you know, the behavioral tools, communication styles like DISC or Myers-Briggs or the NEO or the five-factor model for personalities. I mean, there's so many things out there, you know, but if you can start focusing on the, what makes that individual special, what are they really good at? it becomes much easier not to look at their negatives. I used to be the type of individual that, you know, if you weren't like me, you're wrong. And so the first thing I would identify if I met you was I'd identify what's different from me and I would judge you for that. And that meant that you had imperfections because you're not like me. What a completely back ass words way of, of looking at human beings, which was ineffective. Right. Um, and, and a lot of people do it. You know, it's a personality style that does that. There's no doubt. And especially it's youth and immaturity that does that. But so the first thing I start doing with every single human being is I look at the strengths. What makes them happy? What makes them successful? You know, what made them arrive at this place in life? I mean, I remember sitting next to a, a woman on a plane not too long ago, a uh, young mother. Yeah, I don't know how these things start, Jordan. You know that, you know, but sure. she, I think she's like 22 or 23 um, or in her mid-20s anyway. I didn't do the math in my head. But she started talking about, we we're talking about our kids, and she actually told me that um, that she was a single mom and that her eldest son was about to enlist in the Marine Corps. Oh, there you go. And, yeah, I know. I'm former Marine, you know, tribe mentality. And and and, and she's, I said, well, I said, you know, single mom. I said, you know, how did, how did all that come about? She, in other words, she brought it up, so I had no problem talking about it. And she goes, well, you know, I gave birth to him when I was 16. And and now here's where a lot of people become judgmental, um, you know, where, oh, 16-year-old single mom, you know, and that's what society does. But my track was completely different in the fact that, you know, here, here she's touting her success as a mother. That's a great strength, you know. And so my first line to her is, so I said, so I said, I said, what an amazing job you did as a mother. As a mother. I said, you know, I said, you had the law of averages against you. I said, so who was it? Meaning, and she said, what do you mean? I said, who was, who was that individual in your life that was there to give you good social validation to help you through that challenge? And she said, oh, my dad was amazing. And so she got on talking about her dad and how her mom had left because her mom couldn't put up with it. Um, and, you know, judged her for it, but her dad stood by her side and she said, I love being a mother too much. I had another one when I was 17. I said, wow. That's amazing, too. <laughs> you know, but again, you know, she opened up because she was so used to being judged for the choices that she made rather than, you know, touted for what a successful mother she was. I mean, how many people, you know, have two well-adjusted kids, you know, in today's society that, you know, one's enlisted in the Marine Corps and is a good kid. And the other one was about to, um, you know, start his senior year of high school and was, you know, had great grades and was trying to get into some good schools, you know, so. And that's what that's what I'm talking about is look for the strength, look for the success they've had and build upon and ask them how they achieve that success. Of course. And it's only possible if you're not talking the whole the whole time and you're listening to them and you're actually hearing what's going into your ear as opposed to just waiting for what you're going to say next, like you said before. Yeah. You know, and Jordan, just a fact, I think I had that conversation maybe three years ago on a plane. It was a quick 45 minute here to DC. I don't remember where I was going, but it was a quick one. It was out of Richmond. And the fact that I remember that conversation is because I had nothing to say. And that's, and that is such a key. You know, I remember the details of every single conversation I had when I, when I purposely suspended my own need to talk about myself and my priorities. It's got to be so tough to not talk about yourself. I mean, maybe I'm just an egomaniac, but it seems like I can't just never say anything. Yeah, it is tough because your brain's telling you to do it. 
Yeah, your brain's telling you to do it. As human beings, you know, we we as a as a race have survived because uh, of two things. We are egocentric. That's why our brains, you know, generally people talk about themselves for that 40% of every day. Our brain rewards us for egocentrism because of survival. Um, and then the other thing that our brain rewards us for is tribe affiliation, belonging to meaningful groups and organizations, which means non-judgmental acceptance and validation for the, that who we are. If you can suspend your need to validate yourself and give it over to the other person and then non-judgmentally accept them and say, you're, I accept you as part of my tribe, that's what our biology and genetics rewards. Excellent. But you're right. It's very difficult because our body's telling us to do exactly the opposite. But here's the magical thing about it. You know, we're so focused on trying to get someone else's brain to reward them for the engagement with us. If that's our goal and objective, how do you think your brain rewards you when you're successful at it? The same way. Yeah, the same way. So your success at validating and taking care of the other individual rewards your brain equally. And so you become equally as addicted to that conversation because you are taking care of their goals and priorities first. It's an amazing cycle. Uh, I, I gave a, a talk not too long ago in San Francisco to uh, community managers. Uh, and this is uh, this was the most amazing high-energy group of millennials I've ever experienced in my life. They were all tweeting as I was speaking, and I wasn't getting what they were doing. But they were actually quoting me and paraphrasing things as I was talking. Right. Meanwhile, you thought nobody was listening, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, I sat down in my chair. I had like 500 notifications on my Twitter account. An amazing interpretation, again, that how the world sees you is always different than what you're thinking. I am so altruistic about being very careful about not talking about power or control because I really – the first time you try to have power or control is when you really don't have any. Um, but, but this one person paraphrased something really well, and it's true to the extent that I'll allow it to be true for myself because I can't believe it because then it'll go away. And that is – so what Robin Drake was saying is that in order to be powerful, you have to first give away power – unconditionally. That's really the heart of it. I empower everyone I can around me as much as I possibly can. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. At some level, it's like if you are constantly focused on them, but not in a needy way, but genuinely and authentically focused on them, that would breed trust because they think this guy literally has nothing to gain here. There's no visible angle. He's making me feel good. Even if they think there's got to be a catch unless they're the most paranoid person in the world, and again, you get over that via time and yeah. can, being consistent with your application of these principles, they might go to you even if they know something is wrong. You ever see that show, The Americans? Yeah. It's about Russian spies living in America for guys that don't know, but Clark, one of the main characters, he marries that American lady that works at the FBI, and she knows she's spying. She's just She thinks she's doing it for a different reason, but she's doing it because he found that trigger, her neediness, her, her need for love, her, that her family was bugging her about that, and he just pushed those buttons so hard. Meanwhile, she likes doing it for him. Yeah. Even though she's a patriot at the end of the day. She just, she's willing to push that aside because she feels, you know, she needs, she craves those feelings. And we do that as humans. It's in our DNA. Yeah. It's pretty predictable, too. Yeah, I'm but sure that it is. To varying degrees. I mean, um, it's just great. I, I mean, interacting with human beings is just the most fascinating, fun thing in the world. And, and I, I'm completely open about it, too. I mean, my objectives right now are always my bosses. Anytime I'm working for someone, I always ask you, what are you trying to achieve? Where do you see yourself in five years? And how can I help you achieve it? That's it. <laughs> it's pretty damn simple. People ask me, Robin, are you doing it to me now? I said, what, putting your needs and objectives ahead of mine? You want me to stop? Sure. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Some people are natural at it. I write what I write so I can help people like me articulate 
what I was doing wrong my entire life. Yeah, it's it's such an amazing because you used to be kind of a hothead, right? When you were a marine, hothead. Uh, I call it, you know, yes. Yeah, some of us get emotionally hijacked, and we think <laughs> we're right. We're gonna argue to death that we're right. I know you're just similar personality, Jordan. <laughs> yep, that is 100 percent true. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, through life experience, I realized um, through some fantastic uh, awareness situations how completely ineffective that lifestyle and that personality was. It wasn't getting me anywhere. Again, in what I wanted to be good at. I wanted to be good at interpersonal relations. I wanted to be good at leadership. Getting emotionally hijacked, letting my mouth run away from me, and judging others was completely ineffective. It's funny because one of the questions I always ask clients at the Art of Charm or prospective clients, especially guys that are like, I don't know if I need this right now, you know, blah, blah, blah. I always go, how's that working out for you? Well, you know, I'm doing okay with this and that and the other. How's that working out for you? And uh, it's true because sometimes I have to ask that of myself where it's like, but I'm right and this guy's an idiot and, you know, da, da, da. And then I go, you know what, though? How's that working out for you? It's not. It all comes back to what's your goal. People said to me the other days, I don't tell anyone to do anything. I ask questions. And I ask questions to basically help them discover what their goals and objectives are. People have generally no idea why they're acting a certain way in situations. Even if someone at work starts yelling at you about something, just ask them, say, well, what's your goal in this situation? If you can tell me what you're trying to achieve, it might be easier because then I can help you achieve it. You know, if you, if you just think you need to beat on me, that's great. You know, go ahead. You know, but I mean, are you trying to make yourself look good to, for a promotion? Are you trying to put this on your resume? I mean, what's really your goal in this situation? And I'll help you with it. It's amazing when you actually ask someone questions like that, they'll actually start slowing down and they start cognating. And when people start cognating, the the emotional hijacking that goes on stops because they're still thinking about the question you asked. Right, exactly. You stop the emotional brain and put the logical brain back in charge. Yeah, and they have no idea what the hell they were doing anyway. So yeah, and I, this stuff works with conflict resolution amazingly. My only objective in anything is just to help people achieve what it is they're looking to achieve. I've reached a place in my life where what's happening, you know, the amazing thing about this process is, I guess it's the last thing, you know, I'd like to include, and, and this, this really gets into the altruistic side. You know, as I progressed, you know, even from the years ago when we first met, you know, everyone goes through things all the time. And I, I love humbling events and, and humility events in your life, and we all have them all the time. If you embrace them and, and learn from them and can grow from them, um, it makes you a stronger and better person. And this key with this non-judgmental validation of others, what has happened is as I have become more and more tolerant of everyone in the world, basically, and especially in my own personal life, anyone I interact with, no one bothers me. The most amazing part of that is if no one bothers me and no one can rattle me, and I mean, and people come at you, you know, people say negative things about you or talk behind your back, and that's not my problem, that's theirs. I say it's the... Uh, they try to make you collateral damage of their own insecurities. That doesn't bother me because that's their deal they're working on. You know, so it doesn't bother me. It doesn't impact me. If that's what they need to do to feel good about themselves, I'll help them do it. I mean, that's exactly what I, I believe in. And so the amazing byproduct of having this tolerance is uh, peace. I mean, I have complete peace in my life. And when you have peace, you can really hear the world around you. You can really experience human beings. And so it actually helps the process even more because you're so attuned to everyone else and what they're going through, it just helps that process of helping them identify what they're trying to achieve and then help them achieve it. It's been pretty amazing. Excellent. Thanks so much, Robin Dreek. Excellent show. And we'll, of course, link up the book. It's not all about me in the show notes as well. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Jordan. 
All right, show feedback and guest suggestions. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know at jordanh at theartofcharm.com. Boot camp details for our live programs also at theartofcharm.com, and that's where you're going to find links to us on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media as well. If you're listening to this but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher or something like that, then that needs to change. Getting our shows delivered free to your phone or computer is the best way to make sure you don't miss a thing. You can do that by going to iTunes and searching for the Art of Charm podcast or by going to theartofcharm.com slash iTunes and clicking subscribe. That's really it. And you guys can help us. Subscribe in iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Write something nice and we will love you forever. Just go to iTunes.com slash theartofcharm and it'll take you right there. When you write us a review, it not only makes us feel proud, but it helps keep us up in the ranks so that other people who can use this information can find the show more easily to get the credible advice that they need. It's also the best way to support the show other than purchasing products and training from us. So tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything better than you found it.